This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guest is Fred Enzavino, who is the founder and artistic director of Theo Ubique Theater, uh, which is in residence at No Exit Cafe. They have a new show up, Sweet and Hot, which is a review of uh, Harold Arlen's songs. And they also have been much in the news because they've garnered an incredible number of Jeff nominations and awards for such a small company over the past few years, including how many this year, Fred? Uh, seven. seven. Lucky seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, big winners at the Jeffs. So welcome, Fred. And let's just talk a little bit first about um, Theo Ubique and kind of where it began, how why you started it, what it is. Sure. It began in 1997, was mm-hmm. our first production at the Heartland Studio Theater. I was doing a um, production of Spoon River Anthology at the Sheffield Street Cafe, Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, who was one of my heroes, mm-hmm. and just a little show at a little you know, on Monday nights. And the owner of the Heartland Cafe is Michael James. His father was very good friends with Edgar Lee Masters, who wrote the Spoon River Anthology. In fact, Michael's father was a Broadway producer. He produced Man of La Mancha on Broadway. No kidding. Yeah. So he was the son of this great producer, he heard that we were doing Spoon River Anthology because one of the waitresses was in the production. And he said, tell this guy I want to talk to him. So we met, and that's when the relationship began, pretty much getting me to the, uh, the Heartland Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I started with two friends of mine, Matt Eady and Farrell Wilson, two uh, actor types. And... We produced our first play, uh, Crime on Goat Island by Ugo Betty. So we weren't even in the musical category at that time. We were just doing plays. Well, okay, we have to answer the question why you're called Theo Ubique. Well, initially, um, you know, it was like, well, we were called the Heartland Players or the Rogers Park Players mm-hmm. or... Um, so eventually we had to come up with a real name and besides just the, cause that felt too general. Mm -hmm. So I asked a good friend of mine, Matt Eady, who is also a founder of the company, um, come up with some names and he had an email called Theo Ubique and that was his um, email address. And I was like, that sounds good. What is that? He goes, well, Theo is God and Ubique is encompassing all things. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Let's go with that. You know, we're young and <laughs> Theo Ubique sounds, sounds fabulous. God right. is ev- in all things. God is everywhere. And, and so I jumped on that. And then people would say, is this, once we explained it, what is this? What does that mean? Because everybody, you know, Theo Ubique, Theo, right. whatever, all different it? kind of right. pronunciations. Right. And I would explain that it meant God is everywhere. And the first thing they would come out of their mouth was, is this a religious group? Mm-hmm. Like, no, not, not at all. You know, it's, and then it got to a point where I incorporated already and I can't change the paperwork <laughs> and it's the Obuque. <laughs> Just you know? live with it. <laughs> right. What's well, intriguing, actually. I think it's neat to have a name that nobody quite knows what it is, right. but you remember it and, and you it wonder. it was Theo Ubiquay Theater at the time, and it was T-U-T, and I thought, okay, let's just make it King Tut, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's use him as our – sorry, it's not God, it's King Tut, all right? How's that? But then this past year, we really – have defined ourselves. And it's still Theo Ubique, but it's Cabaret Theater, Mm -hmm. which is when we brought it to the No Exit Cafe, which was, I think, our first production, 2001, changed the face of the company. 
You said the past year, is, but that 2001 is we, nine years ago. We were so. doing Theo, we were still calling ourselves Theo Ubiquay Theater, but we were doing Cabaret Theater at uh. the No Exit Cafe. And Hetty Weiss, in a review of uh, Jacques Brel's Lonesome Losers mm-hmm. of the Night, said Theo Ubiquay Cabaret Theater. And I went, duh, oh, I there see. it is. Right. But at, you know, in the beginning, we were looking at mostly doing plays and I wasn't thinking I wanted to do musicals at the time. Right, right. So so when you first founded, did you have any kind of defining identity or was it just whatever you wanted well, to wanted put to on, do you put play, on? I wanted to do plays that, you know, moved people in some sort of, and again, because it's Theo, some mm-hmm. spiritual, emotional level that mm-hmm. they wouldn't get from, you know. Tom Stoppard. Yeah. I mean, what really, what so kinds Crime of plays would you So Crime on Goat Island was the first play that we picked. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was kind of an interesting choice. It was a, a play about this woman who was stuck on this island with her three sisters and all the men are out to war. And this man comes, this hunky man comes knocking on the door to say that the husband's dead and he proceeds to seduce these three women or four women. And, um, but the way it was written, it just had this sense of opera. Mm. And a grandeur, something bigger than mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. The whole, the mm-hmm. whole play did, and that's why I thought it was a great catch. So that all of my stuff have to have all of my stuff that I'm attracted to has a sense of grandeur, opera, spiritualism, something that takes us beyond a realistic kitchen sink drama. Right. right. Um, although that there's something maybe. Uh, if not contradictory, at least an, an unlikely combination of doing, as you say, grand work in always a very small space. No, no well, exit. Well, that is keeps bigger, us honest. But, mm-hmm. That's the whole thing about being at the No Exit Cafe. It keeps you very honest. I mean, people are sitting right in front of you having a cocktail. Right. <laughs> so, right. how do you lie to a man with a drink in his hand? <laughs> <laughs> how, how many seats they are there throw in the Yeah. No. How many seats are there? We sit fit for this particular, it changes for this mm. particular show, uh, sweet and hot. We're doing 50. So it's almost double what you had at Heartland, which was 30. Absolutely. Uh huh. So you had this producing history for a long time Many at years, Heartland. Yeah. And that was doing mostly straight plays. And then, uh. The last play I did was Alfred the Great by Israel Horowitz. It was at the Heartland Studio Theater. Mm-hmm. It got terrible reviews. I loved the play. I thought it was very well acted and well done, but it got terrible reviews. And two or three people would come a night to see the play. Mm-hmm. And I got really tired of that, of working our butts off and no one coming to see the work. Yeah. The No Exit Cafe was purchased at that time by Michael James, who I had known from the Heartland Cafe. And I approached him because I was part of the DC Cabaret Company. I was like, maybe we should go and start doing cabaret theater. Mm-hmm. And our first production there was a Kurt Vile review, Songs of Darkness and Light, at the No Exit Cafe mm-hmm. in 2001. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of your identity as a cabaret That was the theater. beginning of, yeah. And nominated for, I think, HF nominations that year. And usually in the past when I was doing plays, I'd get me one, mm-hmm. two, maybe. A lot of recommendations, but never anything and I, I can talk about that later on too when it comes to like someone said, uh, well, if you want to get a Jeff nomination, do a musical. Hmm. And uh, I don't know, should, should I get into this now? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I was a little bit, I thought that was, a, you know, I took it personally because I've been doing musicals in the city for the past few years. And I was like, I, I almost, and I wish I had remembered, I challenge. I wanted to say I challenge every non-equity theater 
producer in this room to do a musical in this season coming up. Right. Because to do a big musical in a small black box or a small cafe, having the right musicians to fill the room, having the right singers, Mm -hmm. the right actors, that's an incredible task. Yeah. And Chicago also has some of the most incredibly talented musical theater, young actors and act older in, in the country. And so it irritated me a little bit when they were like, well, do a musical if you want to get Jeff. Well, I challenge everyone out there to do a musical. It's not so easy. And I'll be there actually. Uh Can't wait to see it. Uh uh But it is interesting because it sounds like what you're saying is you kind of just got burned out and a little fed up with doing straight plays that nobody wanted to see. There was this accident that the No Exit Cafe, I mean, not accident, but just a serendipity. Yeah. um, That opened up. It, it, you thought, well, while we're, I mean, you could have done, I guess the space itself was really dictating cabaret theater because of its nature. Is well, that- cabaret theater, and it goes way back, even when I was in Rhode Island College, cabaret theater is actually quite big on the East Coast more so. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Rhode Island College and every summer uh, they had a cabaret theater series. And in order to, for the college kids to get in, they have to try out and you would get like... Um, $150 a week. So it was a big thing back then. Everybody yeah. wanted to be in Rhode Island College Cabaret. And I got in it a few times because I was a performer. And, you know, we would do three sets of music, maybe like a pop set and a, a Broadway set, you know, and a 50 set. And we would serve cocktails and cheese balls <laughs> and make a ton of money. Uh-huh. And so when I went back to D.C., I went to get my master's at George Washington University and when I was there, I was cast in the DC Cabaret Company and it was the same sort of concept. I was like, this cabaret theater thing is following me. Mm-hmm. So it was like, duh, maybe. So everything's really full circle. Yeah. You yeah. know? Well, maybe it's a, a good place here to interject. What makes cabaret theater? Cabaret theater has to take place in a restaurant or it has to have food. It has to have liquor or spirits. It could have just coffee. It could be cabaret coffee Mm -hmm. house style. It could have that, but it would need pastries or something. It would need a service sense where I think the performers need to be the waiters. They need to, they need to be greeted. The audience comes in the door. They need to be greeted by one of the performers. They need to be seated, take their orders and then take their aprons off and get on the stage and do Evita, uh-huh. <laughs> which I had them do actually. Right, right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so cabaret theater needs food, drink, waiters and waitresses, perf- performers who are serving both, uh, and a small stage. Mm-hmm. Cabaret theater can't have a big stage. It needs a pretty, it needs a small, an intimate stage, an intimate setting. Yeah. And, and why, I mean, I, I'm really glad that this came up about the performers, um, serving. And I had actually uh, mixed feelings about being served by Bethany Thomas, who had just knocked my socks off. Um, uh, with When Sunny Gets Blue, for me, was one of the, the highlights of the show. And it really, it pushed my feeling of our relationship. Because when you're watching a performer do something so amazing, you have this feeling of being below them. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's really interesting. You, you have, I mean, I was just thinking, oh my God, Bethany's amazing. I mean, just to take one of the, one of the mm-hmm. performances out of the show and, and you put them up 
because they're this incredible artist. And then the next minute you know this incredible artist is serving you a drink. And it was a funny switch for me. It was So what do you think is the effect of that on what happens Well, in that's room? an interesting point because, and it's something that I will even design a little more further. Usually, for example, if we did, when we did Evita, mm-hmm. Evita, Che, and Peron did not serve. The, so the leads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Evita, I don't want Evita to be, see, Evita to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we did chess, the three leads did not serve. Mm-hmm. This because it was a cabaret show. Another, this because it was cabaret show, it was probably more acceptable for everyone to serve. Right. They're Bethany all Thomas is a star. Mm-hmm. So you, she's particular, you know, right. but when people try out for me and BT and I are very good friends, but the question is, cause these kids can make some money. Yeah. And the question is, do you, would you like to serve? Mm-hmm. And they are all saying yes, because they know they can walk away with some good tips and they like it. They like hanging. It's a different experience for them. So they actually, I don't force anyone to do it. Right. Right. But it was preview night and. I went to the No Exit Cafe and was what Bethany was serving. And I thought, Bethany shouldn't be serving. She's a star. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, I had the right. same sort of thing that you had. Right. And But that wasn't the first. The first thing I thought is Bethany has her costume on that I paid a lot of money for. And she doesn't <laughs> have her apron on. <laughs> That's really the first thing that came into my mind. <laughs> and I said, Bethany, where's your apron? <laughs> the producer speaks. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then I thought, well, Bethany is kind of weird because she's a star. But... Because it is a cabaret show, mm-hmm. she's an ensemble. It's an ensemble piece. It is an piece. ensemble piece, yeah. You know, and she wanted to serve. Mm-hmm. She's on the floor serving, you yeah. know, and I think it's a good time for people to want to ever meet her to come in. <laughs> it's a good chance to say hello right. up front. She's a, such a sweet, sweet, sweet gal. Most of these, I keep calling them kids because I'm getting to be an old man now, but um, they're all so sweet. It's, you know, they're really good kids, good generation out there of performers. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So you had done cabaret theater really just because you happened to get cast in it um, originally, right? For well, the DC I mean, players I think and- it goes – someone asked me that question once before. My uh-huh. father had a nightclub. It was in the nightclub business. Uh-huh. So when I was like six years old, I would go – it's called the Melody Lounge and would have like people from Boston to come and tell jokes or come and, you know, sing the old tunes. You know, I always had a piano on the stage and a big bar. So I think that is was really – it was always in my head, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so let's go back to this transition. You've done uh, – you just done a show at uh, Heartland Cafe that two people came every night. Right, Alfred the Great. Alfred the Great. Now <laughs> you put on um, what, I'm sorry, Kurt Vile. Kurt Vile, right, review, and you're packing them in and you're getting all kind of Jeff nominations. In your mind, is that because people just like the material more, it's easier, it's more accessible, or is it because you have an affinity for it that was really bringing something out of you? Know, of I you? think in order to hit a home run, you, it has to be a combination of everything in the producer's mind, the artistic mind, the commercial mind, the artist, the actor's mind. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's all going to happen. And I think it was all of that. People love Kurt Vile. Right. As a producer, I knew that because I did Kurt Vile music in Washington, D.C., and we were packing them in. Right. In D.C., I did the Jacques Brel show, and then we were packing them in. Right. So I know certain – there are people out – Harold Arlen, I wasn't sure because I don't know right. Harold Arlen. We never did a Harold Arlen show, or I never did a Harold Arlen show. But um, So I had that knowledge that I knew there was an underground that's going to just come and see and listen to 
stuff like that. Just because of the material. Just because of the Whatever material. Whatever I do to it. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Exactly. I'm sure there's probably cabaret rooms in this country that are empty. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. <clears throat> but I think that <clears throat> I try to make it as challenging as possible for myself. I try to pick something that's impossible. You know? And if I, if I go, that's impossible, uh-huh. I want to do it. Because uh-huh. I'd rather fall on my face. You know, I'd rather just be a total mess. Right. No, that's not true. But I mean, in some ways, I really feel that way. You know, that I rather just I mean, because you know, as a producer, you got to worry about making your money back. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, in the last five years, every show I put up has always made its money back and then some. That's an amazing thing you to know? be able to say. And yeah. and during this and period I know because of time. before that, I was putting my money up and losing it all the time. Right. You know? Right. So I know both sides. So uh, is. Are the, I mean, what what is your what are your sources of funds for each of these shows that you're putting up? Well, it's, we're pretty self sufficient on, um, you know, like I said, we started off with. I'm not really good at this part, but because mm-hmm. when I was doing it, you know, I'd have enough money to put it up, and I knew that we would equal equal out, and that would be the next one. Mm-hmm. And so I had that money enough. I never produced a show two shows at a time. I always went one at a time. Now we're talking now that it's getting a little more successful. We're picking, picking three or four shows a year. We're p- picking four this new coming year. And we did four this past year. Mm-hmm. And it's all projection and, and that goes crazy on me. So I have a general manager now that deals with that. And we're getting our board together and a real smart group of people. Alderman Joe Morris sits, sits on my board and mm-hmm. people that are very nice people and smart. They know stuff that I don't know. Excel because, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Everything. How do you do a spreadsheet? <laughs> Everything. I, I don't even have a computer. Uh-huh. I have a wow. Blackberry. I have an email. Uh-huh. I think the computer is going to take 10 years off everybody's life. It's worse than cigarette smoking in some ways. <laughs> But that's, so you don't have one. And you're gonna I don't have one. No, no. But they're forcing me to get one. They're mm. being mean to me now. Uh-huh. It's like you need to get a computer. But I have it on my BlackBerry, you know. And, but it just it's it's overwhelming the business sense of it. The more success you get, right. and the more you project shows that you have to do. And now we want to do a season. It gets really. God bless anyone who has a theater company, right. like Timeline, the PGA Powers. I mean, God bless those guys for actually doing all that work. It's so much work. Just the administrative and institutional huge. stuff. Right, right. But we're getting grants now. We get money from the Driehaus Foundation Great. Uh, for the past couple of years. Uh, we got city arts grants now. Um, we've applied for a couple others. The, the saints just gave us $1,800, which was really sweet. Yeah. Our donor base is coming up, 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 up. Mm-hmm. So it's all working itself out. Well, let's talk about programming. Cause I always think that's such an interesting, I mean, you have the entire world of pieces to choose and how do you, how do you go about it? It's, it's getting harder and harder in some ways because, um, unless you, cause like I said, I would, you know, do one show. I did cabaret Mm -hmm. and I made my money back for cabaret. And then the next show, I can't remember what it was, Mm -hmm. but it was a, it was a show that I knew that would make at least make its money back. Now we're projecting three or four shows. So how do I, hell do I know if like that one down there is going to make the money that this one lost, you know? Right. But, uh, picking a season is hard because you want to do things original but you don't want to lose $20,000 on an original piece. Right. You know? So, so the new, new musicals, and we're not big enough to get like 
the new musicals that are right off the press after New York run. Right. We're a non-equity theater in a coffee shop, you know? Right. So, um, being a 70s kid, you know, I tend to go back to the shows that I loved mm -hmm. and just go by my instinct, which in a way, as I'm getting older, it's like, you better, you know, maybe you should go out looking for some new work because there's a lot of new work, but I'm afraid to do new work. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like Spring Awakenings or something, if I can right. get the rights to that. But who's going to give me the rights to do that in a coffee shop right now at this point? Right, right. You know? Well, you so, have done some new work. You did um, Bell Barth. Bell Barth was local. Uh -huh. It was fabulous. And that was a really gem to find. I found it at the theater building. They did, um, you know, that musicals. Yeah, sure. The new and, musicals workshop. Yeah, in the they summer, promote yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I should even go that route where I start promoting young musicals. Young, you know, uh, writers or whoever mm -hmm. writes musicals, new musicals, you right, know, right. to do a festival like that to find some new stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I get submitted a lot of stuff. And I'll tell you, I put on the record, I can tell the CD immediately after the first two songs if, and nothing is floating my boat really. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm a tough critic, but, mm -hmm. you know, you have to go by your own taste. Yeah. Got to go by your instincts. Right. So, Looking at this season, I haven't even picked the spring show because I'm like, just make it a TBA, you know? I mean, when I'm strong about something, I know I'm strong right, about it. Right. Like, for example, we're doing Cats. Mm -hmm. I'm really strong about that. I want to see it at the No Exit Cafe. I want to see what a bunch what of cats is going right, to I think it's right. going to be fascinating. Yeah. And I hired Brenda Didier to be the director choreographer. Right. So I can't wait for that one, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm doing The Ladies Not for Burning, which is not a musical but it's a verse play which it's always been very close to my heart in some ways it helps a little bit that i have a little i'm doing pretty good because i can go back to shows that i always wanted to do mm -hmm. and hoping they'll come see it now right because you, know? you have a, a, a little place, bit of a, rep. a reputation yeah. yeah right right well talk about um and i'm doing a george m cohan I always loved George M. Cohan. My father always was like, Jimmy Cagney was the best George M. Cohan ever. So, and it's public domain, the Cohan music. Yeah. So I'm going to create, you know, George M. Cohan traveled around with his family, his mother, his father, his sister, and himself. They were called the Four Cohans. Uh -huh. And they would do concerts uh -huh. in like no exit cafes and right, little, little right. vaudevillian houses. So I'm going to put that together for the summer show. Oh, great. Yeah. That's going to be fun. So, so, I mean, you're going to create something completely new using that material. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But then there's a spring show that's the Evita slot and the chess slot that I, I don't know where I'm going with it. Right. I'm still in, and then, and the, my general manager is like, I need to make Brad. some brochures. <laughs> right. Yeah. But on so, the other hand, you can't force yourself if you just don't. It's know. hard. Yeah. It's hard making yeah. those decisions. And yeah. as artistic director, they put it all on your lap and rightfully so. It right. should be on the artistic director's lap. Right. Right. We'll talk about, um, why don't we talk about the, the current show, Sweet and Hot? Sure. As, first of all, I want to know what was it about that that you thought would be impossible? Huh. Like you said, one of the very first things you said when you were describing um, your experience going mm -hmm. in there was the amount, the, the voices yeah. that you need and the style. Yeah. Not just the voices, the style. It was a whole, that's 40s, 50s style. 
old school style mm. that nobody hears anymore, really. You, right. But that was the that was the most challenging thing was finding the voices and people who could put off pull off the style. How did you find it at all? How did you even come across the show? Um, Samuel French had it, and um, you know I knew I loved Harold Arlen music, mm. and I was like, oh, Harold. Well, I went from Burt Bacharach to Harold Arlen to like in Burt Bacharach someday, um, but Harold Arlen, I was like, yeah, I love Harold Arlen. I have Stormy Weather, The Man That Got Away, you know, right. Get Happy. And then I noticed that Samuel French had one, and I just got that one. And as it turns out, it comes and there's just songs. All it really is, the script, is just a, a, an order of songs, well, right? Well, there, there, there was a couple of things that I didn't include. And I would say like 95% of the show is as written. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of like little vignettes, that nonverbal mm-hmm. vignettes uh, that I did not include. Mm-hmm. So I just dealt with this music. But I mean, so the script the script specifies which of the six singers sings which you, you song know what, and their relationship. Stay, I or? stay like almost close to it. It has three men and three women. Mm-hmm. And it depends like, you know, woman one, woman two, woman three. You know, if if, if I can't find the singer, if woman three is going to sing better than woman one, I take the – I'll give it you to woman one. It. Right, yeah. Right. Well, one of the things I loved in the in the show, you were talking about that 40 style. And there are all those close harmony pieces with the three guys or the three women. Um, is and that you, when you were talking about having difficulty finding people who could do that style, was that one of the things they had to be able to? You do? You know, I put an open. I've been dealing with a lot of good talent since I, you know, last five years since or whatever since I've been doing all these musicals. Yeah. So I have my own little family too of singers. Right. And this time around, we just hired one person that I had not worked with before, and that was the Christopher Simmons, mm-hmm. who's fabulous, who had yeah. the style better than all the other kids because they came from musical theater backgrounds. These guys, and then this Chris Simmons guy came from cabaret rooms. Oh, Although so- he did theater too, but he he. He was the one who had it down pat, and they kind of learned a lot watching. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm a presuming. I learned a lot watching him. Yeah, you know, yeah. do it the way he does it. Um, but uh, can you characterize the difference between that musical style and the yeah? It's a style? really kind of a clear thing, and I always like to sing it while <laughs> I can That's sing fine, it better. Because sure. I used to be an entertainer at one point. Mm-hmm. It's like I was I was in the Man of La Mancha in college, mm-hmm. and I had a hell of a time following the um, orchestra leader because it would be. To dream the impossible dream, to fight. So you had to follow that beat, right. that heart. Right. With cabaret style, you could do to dream the impossible dream. If I did that while I was in Mana La Mancha in college, the orchestra guy would have thrown his baton at me. Right. But there's an improvisational sense to the singing, mm-hmm. and it's the singer gets to own it more yeah. in some ways. Yeah, you know? which of course points up the importance of the accompanist. Um, well, the guy that I had it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I knew this guy 20 years ago. T- talk. Met, what's his background? His name is Steve Carson. Mm-hmm. I met him on the L 20 years ago. He had a tuxedo on, and I was coming back from somewhere, and he introduced. We said hello, and he was going to a gig. He was a, playing at a piano bar, Gentry's, uh-huh. I believe it was, and uh, he was just a perfect. I hadn't seen him in years, and I thought, hmm, 
this is not because most of my musical directors are theater musical directors and they don't play pianos like that or right. play the piano rooms at all because that's a dying art. Right, right. So I went to a dinosaur. I mean, uh-huh. God bless him. He's not, right. I mean, he's still a young man. He's not that old, but he, what he, does he knows, is, yeah. he knows Harold Arlen. And when I approached him, he was like, yes, immediately. He was really excited about yeah. it because it was bringing back his expertise, you know? Yeah. Well, that that uh, skill of following a singer because you talked about and it was very difficult in rehearsals. You know, they 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 a the, lot of the singers were very like wanted the two dream the impact. You know, just give me the beat. Yeah, let me stay and on. With that's you. what they're used to. And, and Steve's like, no, I'm going to follow you. Yeah, I want you to find the song. What this song means for you, I want you to. And they're still learning. They're getting better and better now mm-hmm. as we perform it. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that it was really sweet, they got great, they both, both, uh, Hetty Weiss and Chris Jones gave it outstanding reviews. And I think this is going to give the performers a lot, even a more confidence. Say, hey, I'm doing it right. It's okay. Yeah. 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 So great. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's just terrific that you've gotten those reviews. It's terrific for those performers. It's terrific for you, obviously. And you're clearly on a roll. It's here. great for the, it's great for the, the, the theater company. I really, you know, as I get older, I like to leave some sort of little legacy in my community. Yeah. And if, if it's cabaret, if I can fire up the cabaret theater world again, you know, that's nice. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Fred, to talk thank about you, it. Thank you, Anne. 